Welcome to the Tennis Addict Podcast, the podcast for tennis fans by tennis fans. Listen as the hosts break down the latest news and tournament results from around the tennis world. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced early each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Here are your hosts, Mike, Eric, and Michael. Okay, so we are back on the Tennis Attic Podcast. Eric, of course, uh, is not here because he just couldn't make it, right? Work commitments as usual. Um, <laughs> at least it wasn't family life this time, as I have had for many weeks. Mm. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what? what you, good excuses. Good it, excuses all around. At least you have me, because consistently week to week, I am here, even if I am by myself, I'm getting these episodes out. Tennis fans, I have to apologize for that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know, right? Stuck with just me. <laughs> it's horrible. I don't know how you deal with it. Uh, I don't know how they do either. And to any of you that get out there week to week, listen to Mike. I, I applaud you and I thank you at the same time. <laughs> well, you know what? When I'm by myself, all I can do is just give you my best. And obviously, my best is pretty terrible. So Yes. All right, so we, of course, are here for the Indian Wells preview. We've got some other things to get to as well today. Now, uh, I want to preface this, this uh, with a couple of things. First, there is an announcement that I'm going to make, and I've been doing this for the last couple of weeks, but I want to you know, reiterate doing this um, uh, for the next few weeks. So uh, we've been doing these uh, Tennis Attic uh, player profiles as well as our deep dive series uh, we've done the player profiles each month. Uh, and when it's a Grand Slam month or it's around a Grand Slam, we do, we're doing two player profiles. Otherwise, we're doing one player profile each month. So, uh, after this month, we're, we're going to be offering the player profile in the deep dive series as Patreon only content. So. Uh, we wanted to give you guys a few months uh, to get an experience of what the player profiles are like, what the deep dive series are like. And then, you know, after that, you know, you have to go to patreon.com forward slash freaking geeks and subscribe. And if you scrub, yeah, if you subscribe for a dollar, just a dollar, that's it, then you'll have access to, you know, the the tennis content, the additional tennis content. Plus we have other podcasts that I do uh, with other co-hosts. You'll be able to get some great stuff there. And, and you might find that there are other podcasts that we offer that you're interested in as well. So for a dollar. Tennis fans, I will yeah. throw out there that we have a really, really juicy deep dive coming up. Yes, we do. Yeah. It's really, good. really good. And of course, this will be the last one that you'll be getting, of course. So just to let you know, uh, remind you that and we'll be doing this for the next few weeks, reminding you of, uh, this being the final one. All right, so that is it for that. Now, moving into our episode proper here. Uh, of course, Eric isn't here, but there's something else that we need to talk about before we get into the news and the tournament results and all the other things that we have in the episode. So, of course, the draws aren't out yet. For both the men and the women, of course, there are no draws. Those weird Indian Wells scheduling. Right. In in our recording times, it's it's we almost always do a Sunday recording or a Monday. Uh, because of that, we we won't be able to get a you know a proper preview out to you where we make our picks before the tournament starts. 
So, so we will give you blind shots in the dark. Yeah. So essentially <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Indian Wells uh, and then we're going to make our picks, some dark horses. And again, it's going to be just like a blind pick here. You know, who do we think is going to go into this tournament without the draw and, and win? So it's, it's just kind of like throwing a, a dart in the dark and hoping you hit something. So there's that. Now to kind of make up for this, what we're going to do is next week, next Sunday, we're going to do a short episode. We're not going to recap the action up until, you know, the day of recording. We're going to just take where we're at currently in the draw. We're going to look ahead to the final and we're going to make our picks. So we're going to make our picks. It's it's a little unfair, I know, because we're not picking from the beginning like we always do. But in order to actually give you I feel like actually picks that mean something to us. I mean, because it's kind of true. You know, we're we're just kind of picking randomly here. We're we're picking players that we feel have the best chance going into this tournament to win. Mike, on Sunday, I will pick the same players that I picked right now. Yeah, well, that might might be. (laughs) And you know what? If we do that, then, you know, we're better than we think. So We can only hope. So anyway, that's the plan uh, for this week and for Sunday. Uh, So... We can move into the episode now, and we're going to go into the news. So there's actually been quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, and especially in the last week, because you're leading into Indian Wells and Miami Masters, which of course is the spring hardcourt season. And there have been a lot of people pulling out due to injury. So we know that Nadal, Rafael Nadal, pulled out with uh, his hip injury. It flared up at Acapulco right before he was supposed to play, and... He pulled out of Acapulco and then not long after pulled out of both Indian Wells and Miami. And we'll get to him a little bit more in a little, in a while, but that's generally where we stand. He's out from Miami and he's out for Indian Wells. David Goffin will miss Indian Wells and Davis Cup due to an eye injury. So he, he suffered that eye injury. One of the the weirdest freak injuries I've ever seen. Yeah, it's crazy. It happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, unfortunate. Uh, really is because he was playing well. I think, we've, I think we've mentioned that he has the worst possible luck you can ever imagine. Yeah, he had bad luck last year at the French Open and uh, bad luck here. Um, so Stan Wawrinka is also out. He's going to miss both Indian Wells and Miami Masters to rest his knee. So, you know, obviously this has been bothering Stan since the very beginning of the year. He wasn't healthy going in the Australian Open. He really hasn't been healthy since. And Indian Wells and Miami of course, pulling out, not a good sign for him. So hopefully being out for a little while will, you know, he'll be able to heal up his uh, knee. And, you know, when he gets to the French Open, he might be ready to go. At least that's what he has to hope because he's got a lot of points to defend there. He made it to the final last year. I, I do have a question. Um, since, especially for Wawrinka, we really haven't heard a lot, you know, as far as to how he's truly feeling. Obviously, we know that it's that the knee's not good yet. Um, is it a simple fact that he just rushed back too early? And if he did do that, did he re-aggravate it or re-injure it back at all, possibly to what it was prior to surgery? Or, you know, did he just, just not give it the proper time that he needed? I think our consensus was we felt like 
he was in Australia and shouldn't have been, I think was the consensus with you and Eric and I. Yeah. Is that kind of how you're still feeling? Yeah. Or do you think pulled, maybe it's a case that now he has re-injured it maybe? I think he's uh, re-injured it. pre-surgery um, maybe? I don't think he's at the point he was pre-surgery. I just think that he – I think he injured it because a couple of weeks ago – I think it was a couple of weeks ago. So that it was last week. But I think it was a couple of weeks ago. He was at a tournament and he pulled out mid-match. Uh, he said he felt something in the knee and – they wanted to play it safe, and so he pulled out. He said he was playing it safe. I think there was a legitimate re-injuring of that knee. Now, I don't think it's at pre-injury level or anything. I just think he re-aggravated a little bit, so I think it set him back. So I think that's where Stan is right now with his injury. So, uh, mm-hmm. well, you know, Nadal's in that same boat, right, because he pulled out of um, – you know, Australia, and he was supposed to play Acapulco, pulled out right before the, the match. Well, I think it was the, the night before. Um, yeah, so, it was either night before or like early morning of. But, I mean, it was it was definitely prior to the match taking place. Right. So he pulled yeah. out, and now he's out here and Miami. So here is uh, what we're going to get into with Nadal. It's not – this is kind of the news, but um, we wanted to talk a little bit about him before we move on. So uh, what does the re-injury mean for him moving forward? Uh, I think for me, pulling out of, of Indian Wells in Miami was the best choice he could have made because we know that the clay season is where he really makes his money, you know, where he's made his career and to a certain extent his legacy. So being healthy for the clay is the most important thing for him. Would you agree? I, I would agree that it is. Um, my my biggest thing is at this point in time, you know, he, he's now basically going to go the entire first quarter of the year relatively injured. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that his plan, obviously, I agree with you, is to get himself back and healthy before the clay court season. Um, my, my only concern is <clears throat> if if the hip is now starting to become an issue – even though the surface itself, the clay court surface, is, is easier on the body, the fact is, though, it's still – the points are longer. He himself, who, which is why he's so good on it, um, the points are longer and there's more point construction, which means there is more moving. There's a lot more moving in the actual you know, surface itself and point to point. So my worry is, one – if this next two weeks, well, next three weeks basically is not enough for him to properly rest it, is it going to be a lingering issue going into the clay? And if it is a lingering issue going into the clay court season, does he truly shut it down for part of the clay season? Or does he attempt to play through it because of his pride of playing the clay court? Um, That's a hard part. I, I kind of retort yeah. that back to you. I mean, is, is do you think that you know, more importantly, you know, which kind of leads into our next topic is the clay, you know, the clay season is so important to him. If it is lingering, do you truly see him pulling out of clay court events? Well, because in my eyes, from what we've seen previously, even if he's not 100%, he's still going and playing those clay court events anyway. Yeah. Do you I, think that I, he does this here I in this think instance? That this is one of those things he's not going to really know until he, he gets closer to the event. Well, well, absolutely. I'm not. But I'm not saying should he or shouldn't he right now. I, I'm meaning, 
if he takes these next couple weeks off, you know, with with Indian Wells and Miami not you know being a factor for him, when the clay court season comes around, like I said, roughly three weeks ish. If if the hip is not a hundred percent, do you think he still goes on with his normal clay court schedule? No. No, you think he will truly pull out of them? I think so. I think because because we've seen in the past that when the clay court season hits, no matter what, he's playing. Right, but but we're we're looking at a completely different injury than he's ever had before. You know, and it okay. was the knees. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm just okay, saying well, listen, he has gone when, into the clay court season maybe not 100, percent but has played through it. Right. So listen, I'm just here's the thing: in this instance, the you know, are we going to see are, the same or not? The knees are of or were always an issue, but he learned how to deal with it. He learned to fight through the pain, and he could navigate his way more or less on the clay se- through the clay season with an injury like that. But when you're dealing with a hip issue, it's entirely different, and I don't think he's going to do that. That's number one. Number two, you know, even though these guys are stubborn and they're set in their ways and all that stuff, he's also human, and he also knows his age. You know, he does. He knows he's over 30 now. He knows the limitations to a certain extent of his body. And I think he, he, he knows that he's not in his 20s or even, you know, in his earlier, early to mid 20s when he could maybe recover from an injury like this a lot quicker. So for me, I think he knows that the, the thing he needs to be ready for is the French Open. And if it takes calling off the entire clay season to be 100% healthy going into the French Open, it may not be ideal, but that's going to give him the best chance to retain that trophy. Rather than fighting and scraping and clawing his way through a clay season with an injury, getting to the French Open, then getting knocked out relatively early because he's accumulated so much mileage on his body on such a short period of time with an injury like that, it's not going to put him in a prime uh, position to win the the French Open. So, for my money, I think this is uh, his best bet. And I think if he had to make a choice, it will be to pull out of these clay court events if it comes to that. So, yes. You you really think he would pull out of all events if need be up into the French? Yeah, I think he will. If it, if he has to, I, I only truly ask because I know that I am not the the aficionado here. When it comes to Nadal, but in my mind, from what I see out of him every year, I think that it would be like killing him to not for him to not literally play the clay events and then just go to Roland Garros if need be. I, I agree, my, but my I, worry I is my, my worry at that point would be if if and again this is all hypothetical, if the hip is that much of an issue that he would have to pull out of the clay, is there a bigger issue now? If it would linger on that long. Well, you know what I mean? You know, it could depend. You know, yeah, may- maybe I mean, he gets to Madrid and it's just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit sore. It's like 95% healed, but he's afraid that going into the French Open, if he doesn't pull out of Madrid, it may flare up again. Whereas pulling out of Madrid might make make it um, possible that he'll go into the French Open fully healthy. And so for right. me, I think that is what he's going to do is to look at this injury and understand that while all these tournaments are important to him, mm-hmm. he to has him. to exactly has to him. That's, yes, that's but the he has thing. to retain the French Open. That right. is the thing he needs to retain most, and so he's going to pull out of other events if he has to. He isn't he isn't going to want to. Nobody wants to pull out of these events, but if you have no, to, no, 
you have to. Which the only still- reason I bring it up is because, uh, like, for the clay court events in my eyes, him pulling out of them is like the utmost, like, most important thing to him. I feel like every year that I don't want to say he craves it, but he craves to go into those clay court events and try to pull that sweep off. Like he has so many times. Like I think that's just something that he really digs and wants every year. Truly, really wants. Um, and that's that's just why I brought that up. But that brings you to our last topic on the doll that I'll let you go ahead and cap off. Uh, should this latest injury be the final sign that he needs to take a page out of Roger's playbook and schedule himself in such a way as to maximize his health and energy for the slams? And I, I do think so. Uh, given his history and the injury issues, obviously we're seeing that now, but injury issues over the course of his career, I think that taking a page out of Roger's book right now, starting this season is essential. Uh, he's mm-hmm. getting to the point now where he cannot play like he did before. Um, and, and not only be, um, healthy, relatively injury free, but also, just the sheer amount of energy it requires to go into these tournaments, tournament after tournament, and you know, fighting for the trophy. I think he has to start picking his spots. Okay, I haven't won Miami yet. So next year, Miami is uh, essential. Australia, essential. Uh, then go the clay court season, you know, maybe take Madrid off off and and uh, play everything else. You know, then maybe play one of the hard court, uh, uh, master series, uh, before the US Open. Now pick either Cincinnati or pick, uh, Toronto. Uh, don't play both. So those are the kind of things that he has to start doing is to make sure that he's fully healthy for the slams and not expend all the energy in lesser tournaments and cause himself to, to be exhausted or injured, you know, going into the biggest events of the year. And Rogers, you know, find a way to do that and uh, stay healthy. So uh, I think, yes, he does need to do that. He needs to start doing that now, this season, if possible. He needs to really take a hard look at this calendar and, you know, make, start making some hard choices. Well, admittedly, you and Eric have lobbied for, I don't know, probably a good three or four years at least that he needed to make some significant changes to his schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question to you, just simply, has he done that yet at this point in your eyes? You know, you guys have talked about it for about three or four years. Has he made any adjustments at all in your eyes to get to that point? Mm, not enough. Not really. Not really. Not really, I would say. I, I but think... I mean, you guys, again, you you know his schedule. You've, you've followed him a little bit more than I have. So in my eyes, I'm thinking he hasn't really made a whole lot of changes. No. Um he needs to make more. He's changed the way right. he trains and he's done yeah, ways. He's, changed, he's yeah. changed things as far as off the court, yeah, like off the actual match court. But again, this is why I brought up that I, I feel like him pulling out clay court events, especially out of his schedule, is literally going to be the, the – how do I want to say it? How do I want to word it? Um, the most utmost of – um, like he puts so much weight on those events every year. Mm-hmm. I truly feel like if he went out there and he won his, you know, five clay court events a year or whatever it may be, and that was it, that he'd be happy in my eyes. Like, I, I mean, obviously if he played other tournaments and lost them all, no. But what I'm meaning is if he was able to go out there, sweep the clay court events like he does every year, 
or just about every year. If he can continue to do that, he'll be happy. That's why I say I, I just I really see it hard for him to cut out any of those events, even though I think you and Eric have even said that I think that that's where he can most significantly balance his schedule is to uh, eliminate a few of those clay court events. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, so I agree. I agree. Definitely. Uh, I myself have said it too, that yeah, he needs to do some rescheduling. He needs to take at minimum, at least one clay, one of those clay court tournaments that he plays every single year. He has to cut out. I think at least one. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, there are a few hardcore tournaments throughout the year that he can kind of flip-flop or move around a little bit and not go to um, to give himself just a little bit more time, similar to what Roger does. But let's be honest, it's still going to be a completely different thing if Roger still continues each year to not play the clay court season at all. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, in my eyes, I've always, I've always questioned, at least you know, last year as the year progressed, why Roger – Okay, I understand I'm not playing the full clay court season, but why not enter Roland Garros at all? It's I mean, just, he's still one of the best clay court too, players in the world. Too exhausting in a trip before Wimbledon, and he wants that's to. That's true. That's true. But again, if if you're not playing the full swing, you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, again, I I only brought it up because again, Roger is still one of the better clay court players in the world. Why not at least enter the event? Well, maybe. You know what I mean? mean? He hasn't played almost any clay court at all in two years. So, Well, that's true at this point. Right. That's true at so. this point. It was just a question that I brought up last year. Now, obviously, this year, if he's planning on doing the same thing, well, yeah, there's no point in even attempting to play clay anymore at all yeah. at this point. All right. Um, so let's move I, on I here. I completely understand uh, what you're saying there. Serena Williams' coach, Patrick uh, – Mor- I can't pronounce it. Moradoglu. Moradoglu. Uh, interviewed and stated, Serena's only 2018 goals are to win slams. Is it a valid uh, uh, goal? Is it too high of a goal? Um, I I don't think so. I, I think Serena is still an exceptional athlete at her age, uh, her power, her defense. It's still really good. Now, she's coming back from having a baby, so it's just it takes a lot out of you. And obviously, she wasn't ready early in the season. But I think given her age, it's a lot like Roger. You know, peak for the slams. Those are the only – at this point, it's the only thing that matters. Serena doesn't need to go out and win Master Series titles. She doesn't need to go out and win anything else. The only thing she needs to win is Grand Slams. And once she wins another slam or two, she'll be done anyway. So the quicker she can get those two slams or so out of the way, solidify herself, win 25 slams – solidify herself, all-time greatest, probably never to be touched ever again, then she's going to walk off into the sunset. I don't think it's it's too high of a goal because Serena doesn't believe in too high of a goal. She believes in whatever goals she wants to set for herself and she's going to go after them and she's going to chase them down until she gets them, period. So there, the concept of it being too high or too difficult of a task for her given that she had a kid last year that doesn't even enter her mind. So, no, I don't think so. I, yeah, I was the one that kind of posed this uh, this this um, topic here. I, I truly feel like, you know, we haven't really seen Serena play basically at all this year um, competitively. 
uh, at this point. We we basically she hasn't done anything competitively on the court at this point. Uh, in the interview, you know, Maraglu himself said that he felt that him and her both felt that they, she'll be ready for the French Open. In my eyes, um, I I definitely don't think she wins the French. I see there's absolutely no way she wins the French. I'll I'll trademark that right now. She does not win the French Open. There is no way that happens right now. Um, going forward, though, um, if she does do at least well at the French Open, then I open the possibility that Wimbledon is a legit possibility. But I think, you know, you, me, and Eric all said that I think by the U.S. Open is truly where I think that she hits stride and she's literally going to be the dominant force again by the U.S. Open. But, you know, Patrick basically said, you know, this was literally his quote, 2018 goals are for her to win slams. There's three events left and basically left it at that. That was what he said. So, again, I think it's a little too high of a goal, but we are talking about Serena Williams, who's won more Grand Slams than any other woman. So, um, you know, I digress from there. But, yeah, I uh, I think it's a valid goal, especially for Serena. But I think the expectation is still a little too high at that point. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I just – I think with her, um, it's just not the concept of, of aiming too high, especially given what she's done in her career and all the things she's overcome. I I just don't think that even enters her mind. The 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 idea that she's biting off too, more than he can she can chew, it doesn't even enter her mind. Uh, because that just I think to her that's a silly concept given what she's done. So I think um, she's earned the right to aim that high and not have people doubt her. Because um, I don't think she doubts herself. Um, I'm not saying that I believe she's going to go out and win the next three slams. I'm just saying. I think she could win one or two this year. So, um, cause I think she can show up to a slam without having done almost anything for months and, and win cause she's done it before. Right. All right. So, uh, that's it. We're going to move on to set two. Do you like podcasts about movies, television shows, books, games, and pop culture? How about sports like football and tennis? Here at Freaking Geeks Media, one of our many goals is to create a variety of podcasts that you can enjoy listening to. From the Freaking Geeks podcast to Hungry for Hannibal, Friday Night Mics, the American Gods podcast, and Stranger Things, we know that giving you an assortment of options is one of the best ways of bringing you back for more. But it does take quite a bit of work and expense on our end to make these podcasts a reality. Patreon gives us the opportunity to make a living doing what we love. However, to do this, we need your help. By donating as little as a dollar a month, you get access to both past and upcoming Patreon-only content, as well as early access to regular episodes before they appear on iTunes. Other tier rewards include monthly Loot Crate giveaways, access to live broadcasts, Freaking Geeks t-shirts, magnets, and much more. We can honestly say that anything given is greatly appreciated. So consider supporting us by going to www.patreon.com slash freaking geeks and check out what we have to offer. We think you'll like what you see and hear. Okay, so set to tournament results. So we're going to do a quick rundown here of the things that we've, uh, well, we've watched over the last week or so because we've had some good results. Uh, some players that have kind of come out of nowhere. 
players I wouldn't expect to win, a, you know, a title. Just because uh, and, they're, and then some that we were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, players whose temperament, you know, is such that it doesn't lend itself to you know winning titles. Now, Mike, we all know who you're talking about. Uh, we'll get to that. All right. <laughs> so, uh, Juan Martín del Potro defeated Kevin Anderson six four six four to win Acapulco. So a big win for Del Potro. I think the biggest title he's won in a while. And and the impressive field that he got through to win it. Yes, he did. Uh, Misha Zverev in straight sets one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a little bit of a tough battle with David Ferrer, but let's be honest, who doesn't? Right. Um, Dominic Team in straight sets six two seven six crushed Alexander Zverev six four six two, which was extremely surprising. And then four and four against Anderson in the final. Uh, you know, four or five quality opponents in a row. Yeah. Uh, it definitely was not an easy road for Del Potro, but um, hopefully a sign of things to come as we've talked about for, for a while now. Could be. It could be. All right. Uh, Roberto Batista Agu defeated Luca Puy 6-3-6-4 to win Dubai. Uh, I was <laughs> I was actually a little disappointed because Luca Puy that went down went down pretty tamely in that final. Yeah, he did. Um, he, he He did. Like he was he just definitely ha- did not bring his best. He, like he was happy to be there, you know. Um, yeah, and and let's be honest. I mean, when the tournament started, you know, we looked at the field and said, "Oh, well, Dimitrov's going to walk away with this, no problem." Nope. Well, of course that doesn't happen. Uh, he gets upset by Malik Jaziri early. Yes, fans, I said Malik Jaziri. Um, that completely, you know, wrecked any draw that I would have computed. Uh, not that I actually did, but um, yeah. Uh, Surprise final, two quality players, but I agree with you. This was a, a very poor showing from Puy in the final in a in a type of tournament that I feel like he needs to win to really cement himself as one of them, you know, uh, not top tier, but below the top tier players at yeah. this point. Uh, Fabio Fanini defeated <laughs> Nicolas Jari, 1-6-6-1-6-4 to win the Brazil Open. Uh, Fanini, the consummate underachiever. <laughs> he um among among other things he uh you know went out he played well obviously jerry um i don't know a lot about nicholas jerry to be honest with you he definitely big put up a big hitter yeah he obviously blew finini off the court in that first set uh which i think combined with just finini sometimes finini takes a while to get into a match he has to warm up he has to rev up, rev up the engines he warm you know. has to warm up longer than anybody I've seen. Yeah. So he, the new rule changes of the five minute warm up. Mm-hmm. I think he basically you know hands his opponent a set before they even start. Yeah. Um, but one thing that that surprised me, and I think we got to credit Jerry, is um, he, he every match he played was three sets. Yeah. Uh, to get to the final, including the final, so. I have the feeling like Jerry came out there uh, with the first set. Fanini's a slow starter. Jerry came out and said, "I have to come out and I have to be super aggressive. I have to, I have to get out ahead early." And my wonder is if he put too much energy into that first set, uh, steamrolled Fanini, and then kind of ran out of gas a little bit in the second, and then kind of found his wind a little bit in the third, and you know, kind of you know, leveled back out. Uh, but again, with um, yeah. the temperament of Fanini on court, this is not surprising that we saw that kind of roller coaster match. Uh, but it turned out to be a, a pretty good match overall in the end. Yeah, it did. And, uh, you know, congrats to Fanini. Uh, all right. So on the women's side, Lazaya Serenko defeats Stephanie 
Vogel 577662 to win Acapulco. So, uh, Sorinko actually, she won the event last year. So she is the, she retained her title, uh, for not too often yeah, you hear that. So that's, year. that's, a, that's a, an impressive win for her. Yep. So that's nice. All right. So, uh, we're going to move on to set three. So we're going to cover a topic. Our main topic is the revamping of Davis Cup. All right, Michael. So this was kind of a surprise thing that popped up. I didn't see this coming. So. Not this exact revamping, no. No. Uh, definitely um, didn't either. So the idea, the basic concept behind this is that instead of having, you know, every what is it, every three months, roughly I think? every roughly every two and a half to three months, they have a weekend event where all you know, all the teams, especially well, the first event that we had earlier this year, all the countries played that's in the world group and world group stage two. Uh, they all come out, they all play, um, and then subsequently every you know two and a half to three months they have another round, which then whittles it down. It's basically like a year tor- year long tournament, um, where you take the, the normal formatting of a tournament uh, and you just whittle it down until you get to the finals uh, in November. Um, as you had said, they are making changes, and the biggest change is that they this is taking effect in 2019, correct, Mike? Yes. So this year they're going to play out the Davis Cup as they always do. We're going to see, you know, we saw the first round uh, in February. Uh, we'll see the second round. Um, I want to say Mayish, somewhere around there. Yeah, I think something uh, like that. But basically, go ahead. No, no, yeah, I think something like that. Something like that. So we'll see. We'll see that whittle down, and then in November we're going to have our normal final, uh, basically right after the year-end championships at the end of the year. So. The, the biggest change is they are now taking Davis Cup and they are going to make it a week-long tournament, similar to a normal tournament, um, where all countries will come together um, and they will basically do a – it's not a round robin, but you're basically going to pick the, team, the, uh, the countries to play each other as they normally would. But instead of having an entire weekend with five sets, five different rubber matches – we are going to see three rubber matches instead of five. So it'll be best of three instead of best of five, and it will be over a week's time instead of four separate weekends. So, I mean, in theory, Mike, I think you'd agree, the length of it's actually going to end up being the same. It's just they're compressing it into one tournament instead of a year-long, you know, several weekends. Yeah, Um, and I think think it's better. You know, I think we should just dive into – I do think it's better. I definitely do. Because I think um, when yeah. I was when I was reading the article and I was kind of making sure that I understood everything that they were going to be doing here, all the finer points to this, I asked myself, is this better than the current format? And then the second question I asked myself is, if that answer is yes, what are the specific benefits to doing that? So here's the thing. The way it's set up right now, it's very difficult, okay? Given the... The way the game is played today, the uh, athleticism needed, it's, it's a grinding, difficult, hard game to play over the course of 10 months out of the year. Right. It's a lot of tennis to play. The game is physical in a way that it never was in the days of yore. You know, back in the heyday of Davis Cup, which I would say was probably up until around the mid-90s. is probably around – Yeah, early to mid-90s, I would agree. It yeah. was really a big deal until then. Yeah. So – up until that point, 
for the most part. And then the game got progressively, you know, more um, uh, difficult for the players to play, you know, year round. You know, more tournaments, uh, you know, moving on to a lot of hard courts, switching to hard courts. The bodies started to take more beating, more of a beating than they did before. And so now, what this does is instead of saying, okay, I know you just got to finish playing a couple of huge tournaments and you're exhausted, but hey, come on, play Davis Cup. What they're doing yeah. now is they're saying, okay, we're going to compress all of this into one week and be done with it. And so whoever comes out is Davis Cup champion. And I think it's a fantastic idea. It's going to, it's going to, um, allow players to have a little more time off now because those, uh, there's times throughout the, the year, the calendar year, when they would have to go play Davis Cup. They're not going to have to do that now. They can either enter another tournament or they can have maybe a few extra days off. So that's nice. That's number one. Number two, I think that this allows Davis Cup to possibly become relevant in a way it hasn't been for at least 20 years. Probably more like 25 years. Because Davis probably. Cup – in terms of the importance on most players' list, it's important, but it's not to the same level of importance that it used to be. It used to be Davis Cup was as important as winning Wimbledon or the French Open or any of the. Oh, slams. absolutely! If not higher now, in a lot of it's, circumstances, it's a big deal, but it's not. It's not even as big of a deal as say winning an Olympic gold medal. So, it's right. It's, I, I agree. Yeah. It's not. It's not of the importance now because players look at it and say. You know, although I have pride for my country, I'm not getting anything out of this other than playing for my country. Yeah. And, and it's true. They aren't. Um, so the biggest thing that I say in my little bit of a rebuttal that I have for you, Mike, is although I completely agree this is going to maximize the amount of time that the, that the players will have off throughout the season, my only worry is now they're saying now you have to commit to an entire week at the end of the year. So now you cut into players' vacation time or recovery time in the offseason. You're now cutting a little bit into that offseason, unlike we have previously. So my only concern, although – and my biggest question to this was, like you said, will it make Davis Cup relevant again? But my biggest question is, will the top players now come and play Davis Cup every year like there used to be? As you said, in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, Davis Cup, every big player showed up for every country. You literally had the best of the best from your country playing every single year in Davis Cup. It was, like you said, as important, if not more important, than winning Wimbledon because there there was – and again, you still see it. Davis Cup atmosphere, um, and I think this is really going to build this because of the atmosphere of Davis Cup itself. When you go to an event, and here's the other thing that it's going to change a little bit, Mike, I was just thinking of. Sorry to get off topic, viewers. Um, so Davis Cup is in an atmosphere where the, a host country will host the event, right? Right. Of specifically like the, the, the tie. So like when the United States plays, uh, I believe in May, they're going to host in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. So the, the visiting country, and again, I forgive me for not knowing exactly who they're playing in the next round. I, I don't have that up. But that host country has to play in the United States in front of a United States crowd. And that's what made Davis Cup in, in, exciting 
because you literally, if you were not hosting the event, you were in the most negative atmosphere for yourself ever. So if you could go out there in front of another player's crowd, home crowd and beat them, it was a big deal. Um, we, we've read many stories where the United States players, uh, when they would travel overseas, how brutal it was. I know McEnroe many a time said how brutal it was to travel overseas uh, to play like um, – Germany? Or play the Czech Republic or someone like that. Or Germany. It was so brutal, the crowds were. And it just changed the tournament itself and the atmosphere. I wonder now, we obviously won't have that with this new event. Because it's going to have to be held at, I don't want to say a neutral site, but a somewhat neutral site. Did you read where they're actually going to host it? No, I did not. The first year? No. Okay, I didn't. I didn't either, so I'm not sure if they've actually said it yet as to where it's going to be hosted, where the event's going to take place. But my point is, is it's going to take that factor out a little bit. So again, I'm wondering how that's all going to affect everything. Um, Are the top players going to play? We obviously aren't going to have the true Davis cup atmosphere like we normally do. So wherever it's being held, are those countries going to have a little bit of an advantage wherever it's being held? Maybe. But again, that's gonna that's that's the same thing you could say at any tournament throughout the year. Um, but my biggest question that I'm pegging to you, though, Mike, is it gonna draw the top players? Do you really think that it's gonna draw the top players? Because a lot of those top players, we got to remember, especially the top of the top players, the top eight, will have just played in the year-end championships. Are they then, after that, going to go play if their host country, you know, for uh, the for their country in the finals? Uh, or, or not in the finals, but in Davis Cup itself. Do yeah, you I really think, think they will? I think so. I think they'll do it because it ha- it's making life easier for them. And I know you talked about the negative aspect to this, which of course is, you know, now you have an, a week and it's going to cut into their time off and all of that. And I get that, but because we've 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 talked about players feeling that way with Davis Cup finishing at the end of the year, even yeah, already right. There's and, been there's been note of that, so that's why I bring that up is. I hope that the top players will want to come and play because I think that this is an important part. If I was a top player, I understand that scheduling and everything is the most important thing and your physical health and you you get to the end of the year and it's like a long run sprint throughout the year. You get to the end, you just want to be done. You want to have that time off. You want to have that release. Um, But I, I agree with you. I really do think that the players will. I'm just not sure that all of them will. Which is my only concern. Well, I, I think that they'll play. Obviously, if they're injured and they can't play, well, then they can't play. You get to the end right. of the year, and that's right. you know. And the thing is, that is the when you have a something like this at the end of the year, Davis Cup, ATP World Tour Finals, even, especially when you get to the back end of the year, players are injured, they're they're tired, they're mentally fried, and this is kind of the risk you take. If they're going to have mm-hmm. Davis Cup and they're going to do it here at the end of the year, then that's the risk they're going to take. And you're going to have some players that won't be able to play. And that's it. Sorry. You know, if if Roger's hurt, Roger's hurt, can't play. Andy's hurt, can't play. It just It's just the way it is. It's just – it's like any other tournament. If they're injured, they won't be able to play Davis Cup. Stinks, but you know what? Too bad. So I think they'll want to play. And if they're healthy – They'll do it. I think the players are enthusiastic. I think the response that I've read has been really, really high. Positive. I think most players yeah. are 
anywhere from being mildly enthusiastic to being extremely enthusiastic. I know Nadal was really enthusiastic about it. I think Roger was happy. I think I read that Andy was really happy about it too. Um, and I believe Novak as well. So you're looking at the top guys being very happy about this idea. I think it's it's their best chance to make Davis Cup into something that'll stick around longer. This is something that they had to do. They had to make a change. They needed to do something radically different. And I think what they saw was how Laver Cup was a yeah, great Yeah, that's what experience. I was going to bring up. That's, yeah. Right. So Laver Cup was a huge success. success. Every, everyone Massive loved it. Success. It was amazing. It it resembled a Davis Cup like atmosphere in terms of just the excitement. I think the players had a lot of fun. Uh the enthusiasm was high across the board. I think they saw how great that was and they said if we can do that with Davis Cup, that's what we need to do. Let's try it. And you know what? If they try it and it's terrible and it doesn't work, they can revert back to the old formula, but at least try it. See how it goes, and then you know we'll go from there. I mean, in my honest opinion, I, I I don't see how it could do worse than what they're having now. Right. Admittedly, in the last probably two to three years, how many of the top guys have played Davis Cup at all? In the last mm. like couple years, not many. Especially as these guys are getting older, it's it's getting more and more difficult to expend that energy. And so right. they opt. It, admittedly, admittedly, the the echelon of most of the top twenty don't even compete in Davis Cup at all. And right. if they do, they compete maybe in one tie, and then if their team happens to get to the final, then they play. I mean, other than that, there's no there is no census commitment throughout the year, which right. I also think is going to change things a lot for the Davis Cup captains and the way that they pick their teams as well. I think that we're going to see a lot of matchups. We're going to see things. And again, like you said, I'll just end it here. I think that the main goal is to get this to resemble Davis Cup to resemble Lever Cup. Almost, I don't want to say identically, but similarly. I think that if they can get that same atmosphere, I think that they will have perfect success with it. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so we're going to move into our final set. It is the – well, I guess not really the final set. I guess we have the uh, final thoughts to get to. All right. Set four is going to be our Indian Wells preview. Now, like we mentioned before, we're mostly just going to make our picks here. This isn't going to be uh, very long of, of a set because mostly it's just going to be our picks. You know, Indian Wells is a fantastic tournament. I think we both – I think out of all of the tournaments on tour, with the exception of the Grand Slams and Monte Carlo, I think Indian Wells is my favorite tournament. There's something about it. I think the setting, the California desert, um, it, it just – it feels like an amazing experience. If I was going to go to a tournament outside of, say, the US Open or Wimbledon or any of the slams, it would either be Monte Carlo or Indian Wells. I think they're both fantastic. Looking on screen when I'm watching it, I think it's amazing. So it's such a big tournament and – the players love it. I think it's most players' favorite tournament to go to, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, most people say that Indian Wells has been, you know, the improvements and everything that they've made with it has basically made the. I think it's consensus. Most of the players say Indian Wells is my favorite event of the year because of all the different things that they have done there, uh, from the facilities 
to the atmosphere to you know, pretty much everything at that point. Um, they just basically feel like we're treated here better than we've been treated anywhere, which again, we, we, we've talked about, you know, the guy that runs it and everything else. And, and I think we did last year, we had a quite a discussion about it in that um, Indian Wells was doing so great, but Miami was not. I yep. think you remember that podcast that we had last year talking about that. And, I think at this point in time, Indian Wells is still proving that they're still the best. Although uh, Miami is trying to make their way with some of their changes, which we'll get to next week (laughs) or the week after, I mean. Yeah, the week after. All right. So, Michael, um, let's start making our picks here. We have the men's picks. We have a men's pick, two dark horses. We'll have the women's pick and then two dark horses for them. So uh, I'll start out here. Men's pick for me. Surprise, surprise, Roger Federer. I know, right? Uh, if you're a, if you're a Federer fan, then you're cheering. If you're not a Federer fan, you're groaning. Uh, probably because you're saying something along the lines of, oh, of course, big surprise. Gee, guys, could you be more cliche? But No hey, tennis fans, it's the facts of life. <laughs> unfor- yes, I know. Well, I'm dealing with a Federer fan on the other side of this mic. Um, so – Obviously, Roger's playing great this year. He won the Australian Open. He's rested. He's ready to go. He's primed. He's healthy. Uh, he's the logical pick. He won the Sunshine Double last year. Nadal isn't in here. Uh, some of the other, I mean, Novak isn't playing. Andy isn't playing. Stan isn't playing. Nishikori, I don't believe he's playing either. Um, it's and even if he is, he's not healthy. It's it's not looking good. Most of the top guys are out. So why wouldn't Roger be the favorite to win? Uh, dark horse for me, number one dark horse is Juan Martín del Potro. Obviously, he won in Acapulco. Huge uh, win for him. Navigated a very tough draw. And he's taken down Roger before. So I think if there's one player that could take Roger down, whether it be in the semis or the final, it would be del Potro. Number two for me, uh, dark horse pick, and I'm definitely going dark horse here, Dominic Team. Now, I know his bread and butter is clay. But he has been improving on hard court. And while I don't have a ton of confidence that he can win, I do think that he is slowly getting better and better on hard courts. And, you know, it just takes one good run on hard courts to really change your outlook on the surface. If he could make like a semifinal or a final, I mean, that would be a huge deal for him. It would really propel him into that conversation for players that could win hard court titles. Um, so that's my two dark horse picks on the men's side. Women's picks. Uh, Angelique Kerber. So last year I was really down on Kerber because she looked like a shadow of her former self. She literally looked like a shade. She had no energy out there. There was there was nothing behind the eyes. I mean, it was just like dead completely. She was fried mentally she may have been even hurting physically, but I definitely knew she – you could tell she was fried mentally, a lot like Andy was last year. So this year, Angela Kerber's back, and I can see that hunger in her eyes again, and she's played well so far. And I think given the slow surface that Indian Wells has, it it is the perfect surface for her. It will allow her to get a ton of balls back, play a lot of defense, and just navigate – her way to the final, and I think she'll win. Now my dark horse pick number one, and I've picked her before, and I'll keep picking her because I think she has the ability to be 
number one in the world. That is Madison Keys. Uh, big hitter, obviously. It's a slower surface, but she has the power to hit through the slower hard court here. And she has that giant serve. Now, if she's healthy and she's focused, she can make it to the final. And yes, she can win Indian Wells. But it's going to be a tough, uh, it's going to be tough for her because I think she is still struggling with understanding how to be focused week to week. Uh, she's still young. She's 23. She's got a lot of good years ahead of her, but I think she is a good dark horse pick. Number two for me, Garbine Muguruza. Two time slam winner. She won, I think, what, Cincinnati last year. Um, mm-hmm. she's, uh, posted good results so far. Uh, so I think, you know, she's got the game, she's got the power, she's got the ability. Uh, so I think Magarutha is my dark horse pick on the women's side. Mike, uh, what are your picks? So fairly similar on the men's side. Um, on the women's side, I'm going to go completely different. Uh, Mike, you and I discussed slightly different before our differences between our picks before the podcast. Um, but on the men's side, obviously I'm going to go with Roger at this point. Like you said, you've you've ran it all down. Most of the top guys are out. Um, there's not a lot of proven players that at this stage are going to win it at this point left other than Roger. There's a logical choice. Whether you're a Federer fan or not, you can't say he's not the favorite to win it. Um, my two dark horses, uh, number one, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Del Potro, to me, seems like the only logical choice that could beat Roger at this event. He's done it before, as you've said. He's riding a hot streak. Uh, he played really well in Acapulco, beating some very quality opponents. Um, and, and again, um, I think that he is just slowly catching stride. Every every tournament that we see him at, he's just slowly building just a little bit of momentum. We saw at the U.S. Open last year the run that he made and the impressive showing that he had. Um, and I think that he's still just continuously building from that. Um, I don't know about you, Mike, but I feel like his backhand is slowly becoming a little bit more of less of a liability than it was before. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, he's definitely. I mean, it's starting to get there. He used to I, have I'm to chip it. still not seeing him. He's still not well, – I don't think we'll ever see him crushing the backhand like he did. But the fact is, he is slowly hitting a little bit more over the ball. He's using a little bit less slice. And I think he's actually gotten better with the slice to the point where he's actually able to attack a little bit with it now more than he used to. Um, So to be honest, I I feel like a dark horse, yes, but a very strong dark horse at that. Just because of the fact that he has the power to hit through anybody, no matter who he plays. I agree. My second dark horse... Um, just because of results that we've seen on hard court from him and the showings that we've had from him. And again, the reason that I'm putting him in a dark horse is Grigor Dimitrov. Obviously, we've seen some mixed results a little bit this year so far. Um, obviously, his loss in, um, in Dubai early was not a good sign. But I'm still going to keep him in the dark horse category there only because I just feel like on the surface, he's still able – he still has the firepower and the, the variety to beat most of the field. Not all of them, but most of them. So I'll stick with the dark horse there for him. On the women's side, um, I actually did a little bit of research and found that the the logical choice on the women's side to win in Indian Wells usually does not happen. Uh, Mike, I, I brought that up to you before the podcast started. Yeah. Um. 
And then I immediately went and picked the obvious choice. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to go as Fidelina at this point to win the tournament. Again, uh, start of the season, we've seen nothing but impressive results from her. Um, she's gone out there and literally swept most everything uh, so far this year. Not everything, but most everything. And where she hasn't, she's had good good quality results. So obviously I feel like you know coming out here, I think that – with it being a slightly slower surface, I think that it might give her enough that the, the bigger hitters aren't necessarily going to blow her off the court, um, but has enough firepower herself that she can be competitive here. Um, my dark horse number one, uh, I'm actually going to go with Petra Kvitova. We've seen some really good results from her this year as well, and she plays very good on hard court. That, other than grass, of course. You know, she she obviously that is her best surface, but hardcore is definitely a very close second for her um, because she has the ability to hit through the court as, as good as she does. And number two, um, I told Mike that there would definitely be a dark horse here that he would not pick. And I was right. Um, this might seem like a really long shot dark horse, but Victoria Azarenka will be my dark horse number two. Wow. She has won the event twice before. Obviously, she hasn't been playing due to the custody battle and everything else. But let's be honest. She's been sitting at home chomping at the bit for how many months now? Would you not agree? She's healthy. She's fit. Everything's ready to go. You can't tell me she hasn't put in an ungodly amount of hours on the courts at this point leading up to the event. She's known she's going to be there. Everything is primed other than her actually playing matches, which obviously you can simulate in practice, but it's not the real thing. Other than going out there and playing matches, she could not be any more prepared to go here than she is now. And, as I said, two-time past champion, she knows how to win here. Going with Azamarenko is my dark horse number two. Mike, I don't know why, but I felt like I was being Brad Gilbert right there. I think you were definitely channeling Brad Gilbert's (laughs) spirit. That felt so, so much like a Brad Gilbert uh, expressions there it, it, yep. so uh, i will leave it at that very much a dark horse but obviously um not the biggest long shot in the field i would say no no definitely not no but still it's a long shot all right um we're gonna get into uh set five now do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and Spindlecraft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. 
Okay. So step five, Mike, uh, this is just our, our wrap up set. This is where we kind of give our final thoughts. Nothing too crazy here. Pretty quick set. So, uh, Mike, why don't you start here? Just give me your final thoughts on Indian Wells and the tournament as a whole. Uh, well, as we said, Indian Wells, again, uh, it's been referred to as the fifth slam uh, by many people, uh, whether it be in the media, whether it be the players, anything like that. Uh, obviously, it is an event, as I said, especially on the women's side, that the logical winner doesn't always win. Um, it is a hard court surface, but it is a slow hard court surface. Um, and it's it's really the pickup of the season because you know we have we have Australia, and then we kind of have a little bit of a law. We have some smaller tournaments. We don't have a whole lot going on, and then boom, boom, Indian Wells hits. Um, then we get at Miami right after that, and it, I, I feel like Indian Wells um, kind of really picks the season back up after the Australian Open, and really starts throwing the big names out there again. Everybody shows up. Everybody's ready to go. Uh, for the most part, there's a lot of injuries this year, but I mean, for the most part, if you're healthy, you're there, and it, it's it's kind of like I almost feel like it's a second slam, honestly. Starting, you know, because we have such a, a gap in between the two, but um, again, amazing tournament. We have everybody there, and I feel like there's a ton of excitement for this event every year because we really see the big name shine here. And I, I can only hope for the same thing this year um, and some exciting tennis. And like I said, with there being all the injuries that there are, we could very well see some interesting matchups and some interesting people getting in, in through, especially on the men's side. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, for me, Indian Wells, like I said, it's one of my favorite tournaments of the year. Outside of the slams, like I said, it vies with Monte Carlo as my favorite tournament. The atmosphere is amazing. The excitement out there in, in California is you can just you can just tell the people out there they know their tennis and they love their tennis. And so to me the atmosphere is is always amazing. The the grounds look spectacular. The courts just the level of quality at that event is ridiculous. The money that gets poured back into Indian Wells each year, it's the way tournaments should be done. They built Indian Wells over the years from a, a small tournament to what it is today by continuously making improvements, making it better, listening to the players, asking them what they needed, asking them what they could do better. It, it's just it, – it allows Indian Wells to be – like you said, the fifth slam. So, I mean, admittedly, Mike, I, I, I got to just chime in. It is the perfect blueprint for how to build a tournament. Right. Plain and simple. I right. agree and with you. And you have to have the money, right? Obviously, of course, having of somebody with deep pockets. But at the same time, it, you know, if you just take all that profit that you make and, and go buy a bunch of stuff and not put it back into the tournament, then your tournament is going to stay the same. So you need. A combination of of money, uh, reinvestment, and fans who are excited. And if you have all those, you can be an Indian Wells tournament. So, like I said, it's a great tournament. I'm I'm in love with Indian Wells and in Miami too. And I love this time of year. I love clay season. Obviously, it's my favorite time of year. But I love this part of the year as well. It gets me excited. Gets me back into tennis after having been, you know this lull for a few weeks with Australia, post-Australia. 
So it's a great time to get back into the tennis season and get excited again. And I'm just looking forward to some good tennis. You know, Nadal isn't playing. That's a bummer. But you know what? There are a lot of other great players out there, and I cannot wait to watch them, both the men and the women. I'm excited. So you should be too. You know, your fans out there, you know, if you love tennis, you're going to be watching Indian Wells. And so we hope that you'll be, you know, tuning in for our episode uh, next week. We'll make our picks moving forward uh, for the second half of the Indian Wells tournament. And of course, once we're done with that, we'll do a wrap-up episode, and then we'll also be doing simultaneously a preview for Miami. So that's what to look forward to. Plus, we'll be dropping our deep dive episodes this month, as well as our ATP final, ATP, or not ATP, final um, Tennis Addict player profile. (laughs) <laughs> uh, our final episode. Yeah, our final episode. Uh, so, Mike, you ran out of words. Yeah, I did. I ran out of words. Um, all right, everyone. That's it for us. So we'll see you guys in a week, less than a week, actually. And uh, until then, we hope you enjoy watching tennis at Indian Wells. And we can't wait to get back on here and talk more tennis with you. So that's it for us at Tennis Attic Podcast. We'll see you next time. Have fun. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Addict Podcast by Freaking Geeks Media. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at Patreon.com forward slash Freaking Geeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. If you would like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.